All right, welcome everybody to, oh my God, I forgot the name for a second. What is it again? Ha, ah, just kidding. The Stark and Cope, Chicago Sports Podcast? I think I put the question mark in the wrong spot. Oh, well. They're definitely uh, a podcast. It's just a question <laughs> for a Chicago podcast. I can promise you that we're a podcast. Normally I kind of think through <laughs> the intro and I just, uh, I did not because I was trying to get to uh, the Cubs schedule results because we were just offline we were talking uh noah and i were uh, i'm dan stark by the way with my co-host noah cope uh, and i felt like they haven't been the cubs uh kind of since the trade deadline really since they really pushed all the chips in and said you know what we're 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 not we're gonna go for it uh not necessarily something that i i liked exactly uh, but hard to argue with when they had the eight-game winning streak Yeah, uh, right before the deadline. But I feel like since that point, they were basically a 500 team. And I wanted to check to see if I was wrong about that. I think you're um, wrong. You think I am wrong? Yes, I think they're above 500. Not by okay. much, but I think a game or two above 500. They, I mean, well, they, took, basically a they took two or three from Atlanta, right? That was right I after the that. deadline. They took they took two or three from Atlanta, and then they lost two or three from the Mets. So that that puts them at five hundred. They took two or three from the Blue Jays, a game over. Split with the White Sox, a game over. Two or three from the Royals, two games over. And now they just split the first two. So they're two games over five hundred since since the break or since the trade deadline. Uh, actually, I take that back. They took, they yeah, took three, three, game, in a three row games from, over. Yeah, they're three games from, over. All right, yeah. since uh, I was going to go from the eight game winning streak, the eight game running winning streak put them at 53 and 51, and counting the loss today, they're 65 and 60. So they're 12 and nine since that eight game winning streak. They are 500 since they started 14 and nine at the beginning of the season, though. So, really, not that impressive. Uh, I think it's more all right. So where did I think that? And by the way, taking two of three from Atlanta and and Toronto is is very impressive in my opinion. Atlanta's you know probably the best team in baseball, and Toronto's a very good team. Yeah, you're right. I guess it just feels like they should be sweeping all these shitty teams like the White Sox, the Mets, who they lost to. I think you know what I really do think it is. I think it's the losing two of three to the Mets that that kind of has made me feel worse about uh, the way they've been playing. Um, and since that Atlanta series, which you're right, that was, that was a great series win. Uh, they are just seven and six against what I would say is a really soft part of the schedule. The only good team is Toronto and they did take two of three. So basically they've gone uh, five and five against the likes of, the Mets, White Sox, Royals, and Tigers. That does seem like a missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you could sort of slice it in different ways, but the, the fact of the matter is, they, other than the Mets, they keep winning series, which that's what you got to do, right? When you're, when you're playing yeah. a bad team, you obviously want to sweep them, but just keep taking series. And I think they've, if I'm, you're counting the White Sox as, as three or four in one series, I think they, they've either won nine of their last 10 series or, or 10 of their last 11. They've 
you know, they lost to Detroit tonight, but they, they go out and, and, and take that day game tomorrow and, and you're 10 or of, of 11 or 11 of 12, and you just keep rolling from there. And next Monday you go into that series with Milwaukee within that two and a half, three games. And it's all right there in front of you to, to go out and, and take, take the division. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm totally happy where they're at. Um, I mean, there's, you know, different things within the team that are, are giving me pause. Uh, obviously the Stroman injury and, and sound like it's not, he's, he's not going to be back potentially for the, for the rest of the year. That's a little frightening. Um, but then there's other positives, right? Like Assad looks like he's, he's really hitting his stride as, as a starting pitcher Went seven innings against Toronto pitched well last night. I think uh, only gave up three runs in around five and a third. I want to say, um, yeah, he pitched decent. I mean, he's not exactly lighting the world on fire. He's never done he's it been, before. The yeah, game against been, Toronto is serviceable. He's certainly been serviceable. I think they said the uh, game against Toronto is the second or third time in his in his professional career that he's gone seven innings in in any game. So, uh, you know, st- you hope that he can sort of build off that and, and keep going. It's not something that he's really been asked to do. And yeah. he's he's you know done of of like you said a very serviceable job. Smiley's completely fallen off a cliff. So I wonder if they just either pivot to Wisniewski or they decide they want to go into Triple A or or Double A. You uh, I had said is it possible that they bring up Horton? Um, and you had said you know it's probably more likely Ben Brown, which is probably the case. They give him a you know a shot to to start some games in September. But the truth is, coming into the postseason, you really only need four, and so you got Steele, you got you got Hendricks, you got to sort of figure out those last two. Hopefully, Assad can be one, and you got to figure out that, you know, and then Tyone is is the fourth. So you yeah. hope that 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 can be the four, or if it's not Assad, one of these you know Triple A guys can figure it out. Um, yeah, and I don't is I don't even think Ben Brown's back either. Yet is he is he even pitching again? I don't think he is. I don't think he, um, I don't think he is either, but you hope by you know by September first. Um, yeah, I was because I think that the other possibility, and I don't know if any of these guys are on the forty man. Is Ben Brown on the forty man? I think he is, but Wicks is not right because he would be the he would be probably more likely. Although uh, Horton is clearly now their best pitching prospect. I think that's pretty much. He is a case across the board. He's one of the best pitching ahead. prospects in baseball. Yeah, a lot of people are saying that by next year he might be considered the best pitching prospect in baseball. Is kind of the the way that's been couched. Like, well, why next year? Like, what? Right. <laughs> why? What's the holdup? Uh, but he's the only one of those three guys who's not in Triple A. So I think that Wicks is probably ahead of him. Although Wicks hasn't exactly been. Lights out in AAA. He's been okay, I think, if I'm remembering it right. And this is all. This is mostly going off of the games that I've watched, which I'm mostly just watching for Pete Crow Armstrong uh, at bats. There's a couple other guys there uh, that are semi interesting, but most of the guys that I really like are still in Tennessee. 
Yeah, Mer- you can still uh, keep an eye on Mervis, and it's I no idea what what his future is is going to look like. He's someone who seems like he's kind of stuck in in a bit of purgatory after they brought him up, really. But I I still sort of like to keep an eye on him. But I agree, it's it's mostly for for the PCA at bats because it seems like the only reason that he's up there right now is because they, you know, they and uh, you know GM Carter Hawkins went on to to six seven the local radio and said that. You know they they definitely have their eye on on potentially bringing up PCA for you know in September. So you obviously want to see how he Which, adjusts to to trip. Go ahead, but to triple A. But um, I was happy to see that they that that's something that they they came out and said. Yeah, and I guess my thing is, you know, maybe it's starting to get to the point where it's like, well, why wait until September? Like they just called up uh, Master Boney. Yeah, it's like what 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 are you doing with this guy? Like the why not? And I, I it seems like you know obviously there's forty man issues, but you're gonna have to deal with those in a week anyway. Uh, you just had I don't, who did Master Boney come up for? They DFA'd Barnhart. Oh, Tucker Barnhart, right? Okay. So so yeah. Um, I'm not quite sure exactly what's going on. Uh, I think um, it would be nice uh, to see him up sooner rather than later. At the same time, uh, who who knows? Like he he was on, he caught fire. Look, and he's still. Uh, we're talking about Pete Armstrong here. He's. I think he today was the fifteenth consecutive game that he's gotten a hit down at Iowa. He's gotten a single hit only in the last two games um but he's hitting 15 straight he's reached base in every game that he's played down there so the the first two games he went over but he the first one he drew a walk and the second one he got hit by a pitch but i also i don't even know how how worried they are about his bat for what it seems like they're going to want him for anyways right if he if if the thought is you know, right. You yeah, want that, him to right. be this if, defensive replacement base dealer who can, you know, provide or provide some speed on the base path to, you know, yeah. to score from second or whatever. Like, it's nice that he can be comfortable with uh, you saw what you need to see, which is that he went from double A to triple A. He's clearly comfortable making the adjustment, which I, my guess is, is what they wanted to see, and which is why they didn't just throw him up from from double A to, to the big leagues right away. And so you've seen that he's clearly adjusted. OK. You already know, you know, the, the defense and in, in the, the running is is already a, a known quantity. And so I agree. I don't really know if you're going to call it Master Pony. I don't really know what you're waiting for with PCA. Yeah. Seems a little odd uh, for sure. And I don't know. Have they basically stopped giving like, does wisdom not get at bats anymore? He still occasionally plays, right? He does occasionally play, and I actually think I just saw something that since the All Star break, he has like, I mean, it's limited. It's a very limited number, but I think his WRC plus is the highest on the team. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, they're. I'm sure they're using him in situations where they know he's likely to succeed. Like, I don't know what his platoon splits look like, but I'm sure it's something along those lines or against certain types of pitchers. And I, I have a hard time seeing them take him off the roster just because. I mean, he still, still does have twenty at bat, uh, twenty home runs, and, and I know a lot of them came early in the year. But 
it's nice to yeah, just no, have a guy off the bench that, yeah, that can give say, you that he's bump. Got, he's got, I agree. I, I, clearly, right now, the guy you take off the roster is Master Bomey, not Wisdom. Right. Because um, I agree. It's like, if if any of the pinch hitter thing isn't as important as it used to be, but if they're in a spot where <laughs> kind of the, the Christopher Morrell spot, you know, if that was someone – in the order that they didn't like that, you know, wisdom would be one of the guys you would want uh, if you're down three, one with two guys on in the ninth. Right. But this is what uh, I want. This is, what, this is, I'm just like, this is exactly when we were talking a couple weeks ago about, you know, where the direction we wanted this team to go, even when they were, you know, six, seven games under 500, this is exactly what I was hoping for. And it, and it we'll see what ends up happening if they're able to, to make the playoffs, but, this is the kind like you just you, I wanted this team with a lot of exciting players and you know a decent amount of talent to be able to take us into to football season. That's exactly what they're going to do and potentially, you know, more. And so I'm yeah. just I'm it's awesome to see. It's a really likable bunch of players. Um, you know, Wrigley Field is rocking. That that Morell walk off was like this team might not win is is there's a good chance they're not going to win a world series, but they've already got a couple of pretty good DVD moments, right? The probably start with the Talkman catch in, in St. Louis. And, and this is another one that you throw on the DVD. It's just like, you could, you could sort of picture how the, this team making some sort of magical run just based on what they've already been able to do. And even if they don't, it's just like, it's fun to be invested night to night in this crazy and a wildcard race and in, in the central division race. Like this is exactly what I was, I was hoping for um, at, you know, revisionist history. You probably wish you dealt Stroman at the deadline um, given where that's trending. And I think I just saw something that said that they have no intention of resigning him, which he might at this rate, just pick up his, his player option. Um, so who knows where, where that ends up, but I'm, it is, it's just fun. Like I'm, I'm so happy that this is where we're at. Uh, seems like they're definitely a year ahead of schedule, but it, it seems like this is sort of momentum that they're going to be able to build off of. And Swanson said it. I think he was up there, you know, every single, I let's see if I could find the quote, but I think he was in, like in Jed's ear pretty much every single day being like, please, you know, let us compete. Let us um, make a run at this thing. Um, let me find the quote, but he said, um, my thing was just, you can't just turn it on and off when you want to win. Swanson said, if you want to be good, the expectation needs to be that we're going to win. Just because it's not going purely as planned this year, um, you get to a deadline. You can't just say we're done with this year. So I don't like, I think I kind of agree. It's like, let's build winning habits now. Let's see what you have in a manager uh, like like David Ross, where he's going to have to make a lot of big decisions. Um, he's going to be put under a microscope. Is he going to be able to you know, pu- push the right buttons in the bullpen? I already didn't like what he did today where he threw Quas out there in the ninth inning. Uh, inning of the of a run run game, you know, there's things that you're going to be able to critique with him putting half penciling happen third in the lineup every day over Bellinger or something. People are 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 getting you know, a little frustrated. So you're just going to be able to see, I think, a lot of different things from players and from managers. And to me, it's 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 important to to sort of build the, the these winning habits and um, sort of kickstart that. Let this be the 2015 Cubs. This team, I don't think, is as as obviously not as good as that team. But sort of let let this kickstart the the next window of contention, and that's exactly what's what's happening. Yeah, uh, I would say 
that that Morel moment was obviously a great moment. Uh, his reaction too makes it that much better. Just like how excited these guys were. I will say when you mentioned the DVD thing, I remember feeling that way in 2018 with the Bodie. It was just like there were other, I can't even remember the other games that season, but I remember at some point during that season being like, oh, maybe this is going to happen again. Like it seemed like there's a little magic around this team. Right. Uh, and it obviously didn't, but you're well, right. They, that makes they fell the on the face losing to Milwaukee and uh, Colorado and consecutive Colorado. Years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but at one point, it seemed like, like you said, that there were enough moments starting to pile up that maybe this is uh, somehow a team of destiny. Uh, it doesn't always work out that way, but those seasons are still fun. Uh, right. You know, to as you're going through it, I think ultimately that was a, a frustrating one. Um, two shots to do it and they couldn't pull it off. But you'll uh, remember that Morel moment forever. They sc- yeah, they scored one run, right? Didn't they score like one run in the two games combined or two runs in the two games combined or something? Yeah, I think I think it was one run. I think they had the Javi hit in like the bottom of the eighth of that wild. That, yeah. I think that game went 13 or 14 innings and they lost two to one. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. Anyways. Uh, but so, you know, you never know what's going to happen. I do think that they're... A number of rankings have come out recently where they're, I think, and fan graphs, would I tell you, there were two or three, their farm system. Uh, ESPN just came out with this, theirs, and Cubs were number one. Can we talk about, um, by the way, how there's such disparity between how these farm systems are ranked, where I was reading off a list to you that had, like, I think, four NL Central teams in the top five, and then you read a list to me. That had like, but in the twenties, it wasn't even like close. It wasn't like one of them was four and the other one was, you know, twelve. Four and twenty because these like are individual. It's individual analysts making the lists. So, but that's an enormous despair. Yeah, that that does see when you look. I think it's because if you look at the let me top just provide one, some context. By the way, let me just go to okay. our yeah because we so for. ESPN or MLB pipeline had um, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Milwaukee, the Cubs, Cincinnati as the top five fan graphs had Milwaukee at 15, where they were third in, in MLB pipeline and Cincinnati at 21 when they were yeah. fifth in MLB. That's like a, a pretty enormous disparity. Yeah. And then what was it? Did you look at ESPNs? What were they? I think ESPN comes were with like two. I thought, no, the Cubs were oh behind Baltimore. Yeah, I thought they were one. They were two. Cubs were two. Yeah, Baltimore was one. Wow. Uh, ESPN. So ESPNs and Fangraphs were more closely related, right, or closely aligned? Yeah, I think the other central teams I saw were lower down on ESPNs. Yeah, so I I think I think that. My guess is that MLB pipeline is that one of them is skewing towards overall or two of them. I don't know. Uh, The ones that are in agreement are doing one thing and the other is doing the other, which is they're skewing more towards overall value and not high end uh, prospect value. And so the Cubs have, or I guess the Cubs are the ones that have been pretty consistent. So, I'm not sure exactly why, but I do think what happens is, generally speaking, these top 100s are more or less 
there there's a lot of similarity. I'm not gonna say they're exactly aligned, but there's generally similarity. Like you don't see a guy ranked like number two on one person's list and number 67 on someone else's, right? Because they're all talking to the same people. But these uh, and I'm sure you're getting there, but then how does the overall farm systems, right? If everyone's so that, ranked because because where there isn't a lot of consensus is beyond that top 100. When you start getting into these guys who are organizationally, you know, the the seventh or eighth best prospect, then it all a lot of it is just in the eye of the beholder, meaning the specific analyst who might really like BJ Murray or might think BJ Murray's never going to hit for enough power. To, or in his defense isn't enough to make him a meaningful contributor on a major league team. Right. And so in, like I said, there, because those, you know, these, these guys that are considered like 40 and 45 future value guys, there, there isn't a lot of consensus there. I do think that that's where the disparities come in. It, it's a fair point and it makes sense, but four and 21 it's like that's that's enormous it's like you're talking to to scouts who think two opposite things about about the same it's like it's enormous yeah well i wonder i i know that i don't know what callus uh that's mlb pipelines guy who's to me like was the original because he's worked for baseball america and then like baseball america used to have um basically kind of cross post i think they might still even do that uh, a little bit on ESPN. So you would see, um, and then wait, Kels was on ESPN and then moved to baseball America. Maybe that was it. I don't know, but he was kind of like the first guy that I knew who like, this was what they did kind of almost like the, uh, Mel Kuyper, That's, yeah. uh, for, for baseball prospects. Right. Um, and he did, he does ML pipelines list. And I'm not sure if his methodology is the same with, value whereas um both uh fan graphs and espn did the value of the system in millions of dollars which is like taking a projection of uh war for the for each of these guys and then um taking how much in free agency teams are paying the farmer's worth right Right. And then that's how much your farm system is worth. I have a feeling that's not at all what Callis is doing for MLB pipeline. That okay. He's just kind of looking at like, all right, these are good. This team has this nice collection of prospects. Uh, I like their collection the best. Right. And not necessarily doing that dollar value thing. Not that it shouldn't necessarily be aligned because right. The dollar value is based on how good you think the prospects are. Um, but I do think that different methodology could help explain that too. But back to the Cubs, who have universally, it seems like, been ranked at least within the top five of of most um, rankings I've seen. Do you sort of agree with where this can be sort of the 2015 to you know this this next you know sort of run of competitive baseball, given and you know the 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 pipeline that they have and, and the talent that they have consistently being ranked in the top five. And I know it's not the, the same sort of high end talent, which we've touched on. It's a lot of depth and, and really solid players, but you still feel like you can, you know, move those pieces the way you want to 
You're going to have money to spend in free agency. You do have PCA who and Horton who seem like they're, they are top end talent. Your thoughts. Yeah, I think that, um, I think that the strength in numbers thing is meaningful, right? That like with, with the Cubs, you had Bryant, you had Baez, you had Russell and you had uh, Soler, like they were all coming up at roughly the same time. And then they drafted Schwarber to kind of like become the fifth member. And it was like, holy crap, like they really need a lot of these guys to hit and all and what I mean by hit, not just like not hit, but actually like live up to their prospect rankings, which not everybody does. And their hit rate, at least early on, looked really good. Right. Like Brian came up and was rookie of the year. Uh Russell was, you know, immediately a, I don't know, three war player. And gold uh, glove caliber shortstop. What's that? Gold, gold glove, glove caliber shortstop with it with a serviceable enough bat. Um, you know, Baez took a little longer to kind of get to be productive, but he was still the flashes were clearly there. Yes, we're we're clearly there. Schwarber hit almost immediately. Uh, or pretty much immediately, and actually kind of hit better early on. Than <laughs> I was going to say, later. I think my favorite Schwarber was was fifteen. Yeah, Schwarber, right? And then Soler kind of had an up and down, had trouble staying healthy, which was this was the case for him in the minors too. But in the 2015 postseason, looked amazing, like was unstoppable in the beginning of that postseason. Yeah, I think in that St. Louis, he was like six for his first eight or seven for his first nine, something absurd in that St. Louis uh, NLDS. Yeah, and so you could argue that they went like five for five with those guys. And that doesn't happen very often. And the thing is, if that hadn't happened, they didn't have a bunch of other guys kind of in the in the row behind them. Now, they don't need their hit rate to be anywhere near that high. Right. Like, obviously, if PCA becomes a superstar uh, or even, you know, like a consistent, I don't know what you call a, you know, four or five war player. I don't know if that's quite a superstar, but if he's that and if Cade Horton is, you know, a solid two, three, if not an ace, that's obviously really important for them becoming uh, a kind of perennial contender but they have so many other guys that they don't need all of uh cassie or sorry casey uh to hit and I, i i do think that he's the one that seems to be the most undervalued um but you don't need casey and uh alcantara um and uh, Moises Ballesteros and Christian Hernandez. And, uh, like to all to of boil these... it down really simply, it's you have you know twelve guys who have a thirty percent hit rate versus six guys that have a sixty percent. Correct. Hit rate, like yes. That, right? Yeah. Right. So I think they're, and that's the other thing too. Look at kind of the Cubs system back then. Some of the guys they traded away or never really gave an opportunity to. Uh, also did end up here. Look at the, our friend Jamer. Heimer. <laughs> uh, and, you know, DJ LeMayhew never really got a shot 
with the Cubs. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I realize that could be, uh, although maybe DJ's defense is a little better than than BJ Murray's, but that could be the comp um, for BJ Murray. Uh, Only and it took you about two months to come up with comp. I, <laughs> I really thought of it the other day. <laughs> but I just, I, I was just saying that, like you know, DJ LeMahieu was not a highly regarded prospect, right? But he just kept hitting, right? Um. And then obviously Glaber, uh, which was a, a tough one for me personally. Uh, so I do think that given that they have kind of their, they have some core pieces locked up, it would be nice um, since it does seem like Bellinger is their best offensive weapon that they got to figure out a way uh, to keep him in the fold, which becomes more difficult actually if you want to open up center field and we've talked about how then you're like reducing Bellinger's value but also you already have two guys under contract to play the corners um and then now that you know I'm really starting to not like the hap extension uh which I was always kind of lukewarm on you were very much uh pro on and you definitely swayed me uh, a little bit just on you know they need they need some guys who they can't be all kids although you know they need they need a zobrist hayward type but the zobrist and hayward types they sign in free agency but there's listen there's there's a market for ian Happ. you put that guy in the trade market you, you're gonna be able to get value for him so I, it's not like they're they're tied to this horrible contract where the, you know, Ian Happ is this anchor that they're not going to be able to move, right? If they decide, hey, we got all these pieces that are blocked in, in the outfield, and, and we need to move Ian, it's that's not something that, that they can't do. You think so? I don't know. What what has happened to his power? It's come back since the All Star break. It has. Why he's that, still his average has like, gone down, but his, his his slug has been way way higher since the All Star break. Well, his ISO is still like in the one hundred and fifty range. Go to his. Can you can you filter to just his second half? Yeah, numbers? I can look at his. I can look at his splits. But it's it is another question why he is every single day penciled into the third spot of that lineup is something that I don't understand. Yeah, that doesn't make a. I'd In Bellinger rather see batting, Bellinger. <laughs> Bellinger batting cleanup, right, is what we see a lot. Right. And it's it's something that's been talked about a decent amount, and I think Ross has answered it. Um, and I can't remember what his explanation was. We could find that. But, you you know, the, the, the obvious thing is you want your, your best hitters up as much as possible, right? And so if you're batting third. And I think the, the explanation is no one comes up more with nobody on and two outs than the number three hitter. And so... I think that's sort of what. No, you, the, this is this is like, this is very. Someone said like, in what, in what world does it make sense to bat Bellinger fourth? And I said the 1970s. This is like a very retrograde way of looking at lineup construction. Like what that nobody, bat, nobody's, nobody's. When I say nobody's comes up more 
with no with two outs and nobody on the, the number three hitter. That's an old school way of looking at it. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is that you bat you bat your best guy. You want to give him as many chances to the as top possible. of the order, right? <laughs> you want to maximize the number of plate appearances they get. So yeah, you put a high OBP guy at the very top, and then you want your next your your two best overall hitters to be in the number two and three, three holes. That's what right. makes the most but sense for sure. But what do you say to the, to the retort that he, you want him to bat with guys on base. And if he's batting third, that is the spot where apparently it's, it's nobody, nobody on and two outs more than any other spot. That's only because that's only because of the first inning. So in, in if that if he comes up with nobody on and two outs in the first inning and he makes an out, then the then the your fourth place hitter, the third place hitter comes up with nobody on the inning and two outs and makes an out, your fourth place hitter is coming up with the bases empty. Right. And who cares about the number of outs? Well, the perfect the perfect point to to make is is what happened tonight where the game ended with a, a runner on first and Ian Happ at the plate. Right? That's where you want Cody Bellinger with two right. outs in the bottom you're of the good, you're you are going to get 11% more plate appearances for every spot you move up the order. Right. Over the course of the year, I should say. Um, Do you have Ian Hap second half power numbers? No, because I started, I started, I had to pretend to be paying attention to you. Um, <laughs> I, what, I, what I did want to do though, hold on, let me see if this works. Okay, so from 2017, to 2019 uh his first three years in the in the majors his slugging percent he his line was 246 340 476 um for an he went down to the minors at one point right yeah he did yeah that was crazy i don't know but okay so his iso for his his first three years was 230 in the four years since his ISO is 189. So he's lost 40 points of ISO as he's hit his prime from the age 25 to 28 seasons. Doesn't make sense. No, that doesn't make sense. But his on base percentage has gone up, right? That's three forty four. What I say it was before three forty one. What was the last year? Three eighty. Yeah, his. I mean, look, he has he posts nice walk rates. There's no doubt about that. Like last year was actually no. Last year was three forty two. Actually, his walk rate was terrible last year. I didn't even realize that. Not terrible. It was nine percent this year. It's fifteen point two percent. That's what it's the top um, this year. Yeah, it's very high this year. Which you know he, he's. I like a lot of the things he does. Just like what has happened to the power. Now let me look at it. The splits His ISO this year is 162 actually. All right. So his ISO the last three seasons and granted one of them was 2019, which is only 156 plate appearances in 2020. He played more or less a full season, but that was the COVID season. So he only had 231, but these are his ISOs, his last five years, 300 in 2019. 247 in 2020, 209 in 2021, 169 last year, 162 this year. So this is the fourth consecutive season of a diminishing ISO. 
Um, but let's look at those splits because maybe it's not all doom and gloom. Yeah, in August, his ISO is up to 229. Yeah, so that's what I thought. The power has been, been coming back. Half. Yeah, he had a one, yeah, 140 uh, ISO in the first half, 217 so far in the second half. Although, <laughs> oddly enough, his on-base percentage has dropped to 318 after being 377 in the first half. So he's actually had, he's gotten his power back. So apparently there's a trade-off. He can either get on base at a good clip or hit for power because he actually has a lower uh, WRC plus. It was 114 in the first half, 106 um, in the second half. But interestingly enough, at least what I think is interesting, uh, as he's hit for more power, his K rate has gone down. He was, I don't know if he must, I'm guessing he's taking fewer pitches because his walk rate has also gone down. The point is, if he's going to be number three in the lineup every single day, there's got, there's consistently has to be power with a decent on base percentage. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense why my Bellinger isn't there. Yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, anything else we should cover about the Cubs? Um, no, although nice to see Say Suzuki coming on strong in the last uh couple of days here. Well, not anymore that you mentioned it, that seems to be the trend. Although, now that maybe I'm trying to shit on it, maybe I'll be back. Reverse. Yeah, we're, <laughs> this can all work. Uh, there was something in the uh power speed department that you wanted to talk about, or is it that was I the one that said I wanted to talk about this? What talk, the uh, was it Gunnar Henderson? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, Sunday, Gunnar Henderson, um, had a bid for the cycle. They were winning, I think it was 11 to 1 or 10 to 1 against the Athletics. He had already hit a homer, triple, and double, and comes to the plate and gets a hit. And instead of stopping at first base to complete the cycle, he runs to second base. Um, so I tell you this, we were out to dinner. I tell you this, I'm like, why would he do that? And your response was good for him. I was like, we, and we decided right then and there, we're not going to flesh out this argument because we want to talk about it on the podcast. So explain to me why you, your first response was good for him in a 10 to one ball game against the athletics where a double means absolutely nothing. Because, well, first of all, it you should always be, you shouldn't be playing for rando individual accomplishments like this, the cycle, which is the dumbest accomplishment in my book. A two homer, two double game is infinitely better than a single double triple homer game and i get that it's cute and everything else and it has this cool name but it's fucking dumb i've always hated the cycle well not always but since i was I actually knew what i was talking about uh i always thought it was like a very overrated thing certainly a three homer game is better than a cycle and granted people make kind of a big deal about a three homer game but everyone talks about the cycle like it's the greatest thing it's just dumb now, what I do, the one cycle that I am, I've always wanted to see is the four homer game where it's one of homer each type. Every, Apparently yeah. that's, that's never happened. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I don't think that you should be 
limiting yourself. You know, it's one thing to like, I'm a triple away. I hit what's clearly a double. I'm going to try to stretch it into a triple in a meaningless game to get the cycle. I'm fine with that. Whatever. Like the, the out doesn't matter. But I don't think that you should be uh, taking a lesser result. Because look, things like on base percent, or sorry, things like slugging and ISO, those things matter when it comes time to get into contract negotiation, which he's a ways away from, right? I don't think he's been extended or anything like that. But all of these things in terms of value, like there's more value in getting a double than getting a single, period. Yeah, but so you can't, you can't tell me that the, the out doesn't matter in trying to stretch a double to a triple and the extra base matters in any in any I'm way. I'm not saying I'm not saying it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is stopping, right? Going for it by trying to get an extra base, right? Which is something that people people all the time try to stretch a double into a triple. Going for it to me is a more acceptable. You're being more aggressive than like what what if he hit what you if he know hit, how like, I, I go ahead, if, but if I'll if tell you how I, know I, don't, I don't know where I don't know where this double was. But if he hit if he hits what hit hits a ball that's rattling around the right field corner that's a clear triple, do you think he should have stopped at first and then waited for the guy to pick the ball up? And then like do you think that's what he should have done? I think that's terrible baseball. You know how I know I'm right? Because every single person in the dugout looked at him and said, What are you doing? That's how I know I'm right. Every single one of his teammates said, what are you doing? Yeah, but this is the whole thing about the cycle. It's like, do you remember everyone who ever hit a cycle? No, it's not even like, it's just a stupid thing. But it's still a thing. It's like, hey, <laughs> listen, 50, when they show a statistic 25 years from now and one of his kids is watching a game and it's, hey, who are the people aged 23 and younger to hit for a cycle? Let's talk about Gunnar Henderson and show Gunnar Henderson highlights, right? Like that's the, those are the, it, it's a meaningless game. Do something kind of cool. It's a kind of cool thing that whether it's overrated or not, it's just a cool thing to be able to say, hey, guess what? I could check that one off off uh, the accomplishments in, in my career. It's something that I'll come up you know, once every 15 years will be a highlight of me in a, in a Orioles broadcast that my kids and grandkids can watch. And that'll be kind of a cool thing. Well, what about guys who've had four extra base hits in a game that are 23 and younger? But there's no there's no cool name for that. <laughs> Let's make one. A four extra base hit game. The semi semi. Well, well, Chris Bryant has the full Grand house side. game, and that's like the the famous right. What was that? Three homers and and two doubles. Yeah, see, that's cool. That is very cool for sure. I'm 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 so not is that saying... better. So, but was the cycle better than that? Because it, it's a cycle. The cycle is not better than that. The point is, the, the game didn't matter. The the extra the extra base had had. There's no bear. It doesn't make any shred of difference. So just I, do it. Just do it. There's there's there's. But no... why? It's the cycle is stupid. It's a dumb thing. It's a better game. You know what to else have... is stupid? Position players pitching. But it's a fun thing that happens. No, that's not it's stupid. stupid. <laughs> but it, yes, it, of course it's stupid. But it's a fun thing. It's like, why? It's meaningless. But why is the cycle? I The cycle is dumb. I've never understood why you would want someone to hit a single over a double. Like you said, the game was basically over, it sounds like. He could have done it. Maybe other guys would have done it. I like that he didn't. Who cares? If it... If you are the caliber the of player... If you are the cares? caliber... If you are the caliber of player that Gunnar Henderson is... 
probably believes that he is, that most people think that he is and is going to be being on some list of cycles at the age of 23 and under or whatever the hell you said isn't going to be something that people remember him for. They remember him for a million other things besides that. You just, you, but you just never know. It's like a, how about, how, you know, how, here's, here's this, right? Think about how annoying and stupid uh, Hall of Fame voters are, right? They're the pettiest, dumbest people that, that you can think of as Hall of Fame voters. What if one of their criteria is, did he hit for a cycle? Oh, he could check that off the list. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> He did it. So now you're asking to cater to essentially the the worst but, among us. But my point us. is, is because it doesn't Nobody matter. Nobody is using so you it. You might as, as well as, do it. As dumb as some of these voters are, none of them are using the cycle. Maybe. Maybe as, as their Maybe binary for whether or not right? someone's a there Hall of Famer. A point one percent chance that that is part of one of these dumbasses criteria, and by stopping at first in a meaningless game, that that point one percent chance is checked off of, off a box. And I don't think the Hall of Fame, look, I think that the Veterans Committee makes terrible choices like Harold Baines. And I think that the, the where I think the, the Hall of Fame voters have really failed is in how they've handled the 90s and early 2000s yeah, but guys also in, like in some Clemens guys, and Bonds. And some guys not being be first in. ballots. Like, like well, that, that saying that you're, you're not. Although a, that's largely going away. That's kind of been going away, I think. But yes, there, there certainly there's in any group, there's going to be some morons. And there certainly are some morons in that. I don't think that anyone is going to, if Gunnar Henderson ends up with a uh, career war that's war that's in the 80s, uh, no one is going to deny, he's going to make the Hall of Fame regardless of hitting for a cycle in his career. Mark it down 25 years from now. 99% of people vote Gunnar Henderson first ballot, <laughs> except for the one guy who said he didn't. He's going to come say, no, because people will be smarter by then, and maybe they won't even talk about the cycle. Every but anyway. His teammates is right. They told him to stop. That's what he should have done. Everyone was looking at him like he had a third eye because it clearly matters to them, right? If every single one of them is saying, why didn't you do it? It clearly is something that is cool for, for MLB players to do. They clearly yeah, I, b- I believe that they've been sucked into thinking that it's cool. But I, again, a four extra basic game is better than a cycle. Not according well, to them, it's not. I, I don't really care what he did in this particular game. My axe to grind is the cycle itself. Gotcha. Like, fine. He, they think that he should have stopped. I don't know. I, don't, I, would, I would like to think that if I were in that situation, I would still want the double over. Did, was it like a hustle double? Or was it, it, it like, was, it was it clearly was, a double it was, when he it, hit it? It wasn't, I wouldn't say it was a hustle double where he's sliding ahead first into second, but it would not have looked, you would not have bat an eye if he had stopped up for like. It's it a didn't like roll to the wall or anything correct, like that. Correct. Yeah, I, I'm, I think it's good. I think it's good. I honestly, I guarantee that he would have been criticized for stopping it first. Like that it's like the, um, the triple double where the uh, the, throw it off the, the Ricky Davis and yeah, Giannis just did it this year too. Ricky Davis is the more famous one, but yeah, throwing it off the backboard to himself to get that tenth rebound to get a triple double. Right. Yeah, it it should have if if you believe in its value as an accomplishment, it should have to happen organically, not because you are gaming it 
to get there. He should have hit. He should hit the ball less hard or more at a guy, so it would have been a clear single. I can get. I can actually get more on board with that. Is the value of it is is the part of it being being natural that I can actually get on board with. But the fact that it was close to me, just stop at first base and, and take the accomplishment. Now, do we want to go south side? Do you think, we, now, do you think that so? The implication there is that he knew that he was a single away. I'm but not sure I, he did. That's what I'm going to say. I don't think, I don't think that he did because I don't think that I'm guessing that these got the way that these guys have to approach the game is like every at bat. They just have to be completely focused on hitting whatever the pitcher is trying to throw at them and that they can't be thinking like, Oh, in this game, I've already had a single double Although everyone yeah, else or, or, on his team, a double, triple, and homer, yeah. So, but I don't know if that's in their head. Like for one, it's probably kind of similar to a no hitter, where no one's going to be talking about it in the dugout, even if they all know it. I wonder. I wonder if it's something where they're like, "Hey, like, go grab a single," or if if he's just coming up. Because yeah, I guess I have to look look at the replay again. I think he because... did look kind of perplexed when. When he was when looking back like, at the, yeah, like, what did you do? And they were all like, what the hell? Because yeah. the other thing is on the scoreboard, right? There's this picture and it, it would say, you know, everything, yeah, double yeah, in yeah. the first, triple in the whatever. And, the, right. and so they, they would, they would be looking at that, but he's not going to be looking at that. Right. Yeah. I guess that would be the, the thing is, and I, and I didn't look at what he said after the game, but I wonder if, if, they asked him, A, if he knew, and B, if he said, I didn't know, had I known, I would have done X. Yeah. Nah. I still, um, good for him. Fuck the cycle. The cycle's dope. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's just real quickly talk about the White Sox since we're on baseball. I was just surprised um, because, you know, obviously their rebuild has to be looked at as a failure. Context, three hours ago, they just fired um, – there was Kenny Williams, the president of baseball ops and their yeah, GM. Yeah. Rick, Rick Hahn. I, yeah. They fired. Well, whatever roles those two guys filled. I don't know if it was VP. I don't know if Kenny Williams title was a VP or if the two, G, the two head was, decision makers, it seemed yes. like in terms of what both they were got doing, fired. both got and, fired. And this is, I would put this, this is like the white Sox. They were the white Sox gar packs. Right, which they they seemed pretty entrenched. Uh, for all of Reinsdorf's faults as an owner, he does seem to be very loyal, extreme to a fault, extremely to a fault. loyal. Yeah, that he keeps guys around, um, or rehires them if, thirty years later after feeling like he made a mistake. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I was just surprised because. You know, especially the Kenny Williams thing that he's going to get rid of both of them. And I don't know if this was a, you know, who knows what actually went down if, you know, Williams wanted to fire Han and they were like, no, you, you know, you got to go. Or if maybe Reinsdorf said, you got to fire Han and Williams said, well, you know, then you got to fire I mean, It doesn't seem like any of that seems like someone decided. All right, it's enough. Uh, but I was surprised. I was surprised that, that more at the Kenny Williams than the Rick Hahn thing. Because like I said, they're 
the rebuild has to be considered a failure because it was looking really good three years ago. Like you had all these guys coming up. They they had made some really good trades. It made some good picks or seemingly good picks, uh, some good international signings. It seemed like it was all going to come together. Um, they augmented it with a few free agent signings. You know, we know that they don't. They just were never willing to go over the top. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no question. It's too wide. It's a failure. There's no question. They had a COVID season where they, you know, Bray won that MVP. They weren't able to get out of that three game series against um, Oakland. And then the year after they, they won the, the central won 90, some 93, 94 games um, and lost in four in the ALDS to, to Houston. Um, and that's all they have to show for um, and a yeah. fun, a fun field of dreams walk off Tim Anderson home run. But since then it's been completely downhill. It seems like every single one of their, their top players outside of, of Robert has, has regressed uh, and yeah. cease. Although cease has also regressed this year compared to last year. Um, they're trading away players that are seemingly becoming way more effective the moment they, they go outside of the organization. And I am definitely surprised just given the way Reinsdorf operates, but you know, for the white Sox fans in my life, the worse this was getting to me, the better it was, it was getting for them just in terms of, I thought you wanted this thing to get as bad and as embarrassing as possible, because it seems like that's the only way where, where Reinsdorf will ever actually you know, be willing to to make changes, um, and you know you have the the morale walk off. You have how how poorly this this season has gone. Um, you know, just just so many things. Um, you know, going in, in the direction of this just being completely and totally embarrassing. The Anderson getting knocked out. Like to me, all those things were positives um, in the future of the White Sox because it meant that at some point there was no denying that that changes had to be made. Um, and so they were, you know, they were finally willing to do that. And that's coupled with yesterday news of, um, you know, the, the lease at, at Sox Park being up, you know, whatever it is, the next five years and talk of maybe moving to a different location, maybe, you know, moving out of state, maybe Ryan's for selling the team. So to me, these are all very positive trends for, for White Sox fans who, um, I would say, well, except been, for the moving out of state thing, doesn't co- seem correct. Like a positive trend. Sure, correct. Have been, and I'll ask you about that in a second. But um, you know, fans who I think have been in the top five to ten of of most tortured, probably top five most tortured fans in in all of baseball. Um, but on the move, if you know, hey, what do you what what are your expectations if Reinsdorf sells and someone else buys and what would you do if you bought that team? Because to me, you know, I was talking about with my with with some friends and some White Sox fans, and he said, "There's no question that if someone buys it, they're going to move it to Nashville." Um, and to me, I said, "I thought that you know, if you buy that team, the the upside is in Chicago. Um, it's a you know, it's a, it's still a very passionate fan base when that team's you know good. You look at 21. This it's not called the sell anymore. Sox Park was 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 rocking and rolling when that team's good, and you sort of go the the Cohen route." Um, you know, with, with what he's doing in the Met with the Mets, and you actually show show a willingness to spend and to actually get behind that organization to do it right. Um, you know, maybe you move you know further north, 
you you sort of build up around you know the area the way the the, the rickets have, which I know you don't like, but you sort of build you know uh, a, a sort of ballpark neighborhood type thing. And I think if you really do Chicago well, that's the highest upside as opposed to moving um, you know to Nashville or or a different uh, city where you don't really have the same sort of passionate fan base. Um, it's more of just like an attraction within the city um, uh, and something where I think you, you'd rather just see an expansion team sort of open there. I don't know if they go past 32 or like a team like Tampa Bay move as opposed to moving out of the third largest market uh, in sports, even if you are the second team. Yeah, that's, I, I agree that moving out of Chicago doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me. And baseball, baseball is a different animal. You know, city of just about any size can support a football team. You only got to sell eight or nine games now. Right. Right. Like the baseball is tough. You have to have a big population base. And granted, you know, this is a Cubs town mostly, but even that isn't as first of all, there's far more fans of both than there were when I was growing up. Uh, especially if the one team is good, you will get bandwagon jumpers um, in Chicago, which will take you well beyond what you could, what you could get in from a place like Nashville or I don't know, San Antonio or Austin. I don't know what some of the other, Portland, Las Vegas, Vegas. Well, that's already Oakland. That's already happening. Yeah. But um, so, yeah, I don't think moving the team makes a lot of sense. I also don't know if moving them out of uh, where they are makes sense. If you wanted, it's not like property values in Bridgeport are super high. So if they wanted to do some of that kitschy shit around, they could just be buying up. Things. I mean, the Ricketts did it in Wrigleyville, which is a much, a much, much more expensive piece of or proposition uh, to pick up some of those the the parcels of land that they got in Wrigleyville than it would be to do it around around uh, Comiskey or whatever the hell it is, uh, guaranteed rate. So I don't know about moving, especially because it's actually pretty easy to get to. Um. You have the L. It's also right off uh, the the expressway there. It's not it's not like it's a difficult place to get to. I know it's not necessarily the most appealing place, but where else are you going to go? Because you move further north, the property values only go higher. And I don't know if there's like a, a could they? Yeah, I mean, I don't think in terms of investments, it's like. But just if you have a Steve Cohen type of guy, where he's like, you know fuck the, the 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 bottom line at the moment let's sort of do this you know where, where it's my toy and i want to sort of make it uh, um as appealing as possible let's move it to an area where people want to be around the stadium where we can sort of build up um and i don't know where you can necessarily do that north maybe, maybe there's room you know if if the bears move out of Soldier Field, maybe you do something in, in that space. Even that is such a bitch to get to. There is yeah, that's that's worse. I mean, but, I but you're, it's thing, still more of a willingness to to sort of hang around that area than there is to to hang around Zox Park. That's just the reality of the situation. I don't know if that's true, and I don't know if that would be true if they made more investments in. Like I said, if they try, if they, that's what a new owner wanted to do, 
I'm sure he could buy up all kinds of land in that area. Uh, in the summer, and, he could water taxi to the game. <laughs> Just go right off Lake it, Michigan and make it uh, and make it more appealing uh, to be there. And you know, the identity is on the south side. So, and I granted, Soldier Field is mildly on the south side, but uh, people already have a hard. People don't like going there once a <laughs> once a week for eight lousy weeks of the year. I don't know if they're going to do it eighty-one times. Um, so yeah, I think, I don't think moving makes a whole lot of sense. I also don't know where this, that he's going to sell comes from either. Cause I don't know why he would do that. Because he treats it like it's a business. And if you're going to do that, why not just, you know, cash out and take your few billion dollars on what you paid. What was it? 12 million for right, exactly. Million or right. Like if you're not willing to actually invest in it, like all these other owners are, and you, you're, you're worried about your bot and you're, you're. Because and... his because his investment continues to accrue value despite not putting any money into it. So why sell? Because you're whatever how old he is. Just just take your your winnings and and fuck off and don't worry about the headache of every single person. Although he can't care much about what people think of him in the city. That that has to be pretty clear. Yeah. Um, but if you just want to, you know, do the last whatever how many years he has left and just take your billions and not worry about an inheritance tax for, for your kids. And, and, you know, you still have the bulls. You can still, um, you know, do what, whatever you want to do with the bulls and, and just, just take your win. No, I don't see that happening. Well, I don't know why, I mean, why where the headline would have come from unless there's something, because I agree with thinking that, that, yeah, but that's you don't. There's no wishful thinking in in saying that there there could be a willingness to sell. You're not there just gonna could be a willingness to sell. Is that how it's been phrased? I don't know the exact wording. I'm like, the, I'm looking it up because this all sounds. It, I mean, either no, way, just, I just I, I I don't understand. Like, if just what do you just take your billion dollars and run the bulls? Like, what is it? Your your few billion dollars and run the bulls? Like, you've already won the investment, so just fuck off. No, because that's not how these guys think. But you already have uh, if, you, if you already have your toy where you can be compete fairly with everyone else in in a sport that has a salary tax, a salary cap. Why? I, I think it, it will get to a point where it'll be so bad with with the Sox that that he's it's going to be very tempting. Because to, to me, if, the, if I was a fan of that team, that's uh, that's what I would do. People I've known who have who've had tickets season tickets for for decades and decades are starting to give up their tickets because of how embarrassing and bad it's got. Yeah, and speaking of which, uh I went to a game recently at the aforementioned guaranteed rate field. And uh it's not nearly as bad as I remember. And I know they did they did some things to improve it. And like still the the way it's oriented that you can't see the skyline was incredibly stupid. And we can all make fun of that. And we can all make fun of the fact that they were pitched the some very cool ballparks that got built ended up getting built elsewhere. Um, and they turned them down. And but it's not nearly as bad as I had remembered. It's not a bad place to watch a game. It's a very it's a very standard experience, and the food is some yeah. of the best that you're going to get in any stadium. 
So it's a, I, it's a very cookie cutter well, I, baseball experience. Yeah. But that's how they all are now. I mean, like there's some like, look, I, I love PNC. That's but there's not there's not a lot of those. Uh, um, Oracle, PNC, and then you have sort of the, you know, Camden and sort of the older ones. But uh, yeah, I agree with you that I I didn't know that there, that it had a bad rap attached to it because, I, I you know, my dad has had season tickets for a long time. I, I'd go, we'll go to a bunch of games with him and I never thought it was a bad experience at the ballpark. So I don't know. I. I was yeah, unaware well, that that was the, the the reputation. Yeah, well, the there were a few things that ha- the the upper deck used to be harrowing. It was like so steep. Gotcha. And that they they redid that. I don't know. Maybe after it had been open for ten years or so. I don't know when they redid that. But it was also how could you it, were sitting in a box? So how do you know what the experience <laughs> was like? <laughs> and, and, uh, well, any ballpark is in a box. Oh, this isn't too bad. <laughs> I'm just saying it was pleasant. Uh I did not have to deal with any riffraff. <laughs> Uh, I was going to mention that part, but I'm just saying. Man like, sits in luxury suites. Lines, it's... That's surprisingly pleasant time. That's the headline. <laughs> um, no, but just like the, I walked around a little bit and with I, the common folk, I, I slumped it. I slumped with the common folk. folk. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it wasn't it. Like I remembered it being just awful. Like the, and that was kind of the. It caught a lot of flack because they it was right in the time when they were opening up all of these stadiums like Camden Yards that were like these like kind of beautiful retro, you know, like they had like a lot of classic elements. And like you said, they just built like a an all kind of function, no form park. They could have had it like open, you know, like when you're in the bowl that would face the skyline viewed from the south uh and it said you can't see anything out of it can't and so there were like there were and then this this crazy uh grade on the upper deck but they i think the when they made did the facelift maybe 10 years in they really did make it a lot better so i guess my point in all of this is i don't know why they would move out of there other than the fact that they don't own it, they just they're just leasing it. Um, um, completely off topic, but on the topic of of stadiums, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta, where a picture was surfacing of their concession prices, and it was like a hot dog, pizza, a popcorn, I think a soda, and one other thing, all for twenty dollars. So just shout out to them for for having reasonable concession prices. And I don't understand why actually I understand why other teams don't do that, but just a quick shout out on the topic of stadiums. I think it's wait, wait, awesome wait. that you that get all of that it. stuff. Yes. $20 a piece. No, no. All that. Like, they finally $20. broke in the $20 barrier. They're the first ones yes. to be that bold to rip people. Off no, it's like, badly. like a hot dog's a dollar 50 pizzas, a couple bucks. This, is, like this actual... is the Falcons. Yes. Oh, so shout out to them. Arthur Blank really awesome. Arthur Blank really trying to to fight the stereotype. Yeah. Uh but also nobody wants to see the goddamn Falcons play. So they gotta do something. Yeah, it's definitely a cursed franchise, but a 
apparently a beautiful new stadium. And I think more owners should take a page out of that book. Um, and oh, I didn't even know they wait. So they got rid of the Georgia Dome. Yeah, they're playing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's a brand new stadium. A couple years ago, I think there's already been a Super Bowl there and multiple SEC championship games there. Stadium. The the only new stadium that I've cared about uh, in the last ten years, and I don't know, maybe it's already older than ten years, was Dallas's because that place is cool. Or at least it looks cool in the pictures. The one I really want to go to is SoFi in in LA. Why? It's supposed to be an unbelievable stadium. That's why. Oh, really? I don't know why. Why is Jerry I hate Stan, Kron- I hate Stan Kroenke. I, not that uh, I like Jerry. Not that I like Jerry. Jones, Jerry Jones hate, is the picture, hate, but I hate Stan Kroenke more. <laughs> well, Jerry Jones at least like he bought a team that was kind of on the down. They were you know America's team or whatever else, but they were kind of on the downswing. Uh, they were not nearly as popular. They were kind of terrible and built them back up into being an extremely valuable franchise and i think he basically built i don't know i'm sure some public money was used but not a whole lot from what i remember to build that place um yeah it's wasn't there like a pretty rough photo of him at like north little rock high school uh yes there is (laughs) some not so good stuff in his past yeah um but yeah, concession prices out of control. Shout out Arthur Blank and okay, the good, Atlanta. Good Falcons. job, good job, Arthur. Do we uh, want to save Bears talk for for next week? Yeah, let's save it because I think we're already blown past an hour. All right, so I think by the time we talk, we'll you know next week we'll the Cubs will be starting um, at home with hopefully what ends up being a, a big time series um, against Milwaukee and will be, I think one or, or two weeks away from the, the preseason we have been over and will be two weeks away from a three twenty five kickoff against the green Bay Packers at soldier field. There you go. And uh, this, uh, if when we're on next week, uh, Assuming he doesn't get called up before, I am going to Indianapolis to see the Iowa Cubs play against the Indianapolis Guardians. They're actually still the Indians. They're not even affiliated. They're a Pittsburgh franchise. Uh, To see them play on Saturday and Sunday. So my guess is that means he'll get called up on Friday. (laughs) All right, good. So you're, you're doing work for everyone else. We appreciate you falling on the sword for yep. for the rest of Cubs fans. All right, I think that's a wrap. Uh, this has been D. Stark and Cope, Chicago, Chicago Sports Podcast. Uh, join us again next week when we will talk about uh, those Bears and hopefully uh, my experience watching PCA play in Indianapolis. Thanks, everybody. 